1: Today, we're looking at a topic that, again, resonates not just with Native Americans, but throughout the world as we find ourselves dealing with COVID-19 and related challenges. We're talking about leading through crisis and calming the storm. Our guest is Deke Copenhaver. Deke, it's great to have you with us.
2: David, it's a pleasure to be here with you today.
1: Now, the name, Deke D e k e. This is not a name that a lot of us have have heard frequently. Is there some history behind that?
2: There is definitely some history behind that. So, when I was born, my older sister Lisa was two, and she, my real name's David. She said something that sounded like D, and my father had been friends with uh, the youngest of five children. My dad flew B seventeen bombers in World War Two, but. He was friends with Deke Slayton, an astronaut, or uh, knew him. And so he just started calling me Deke, and it, it stuck, and I've been Deke ever since.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Deke. And uh, you've got an illustrious background. Not only do you have in your DNA that uh, ability to, to lead through crisis and calm a storm, because uh, I know a little bit about your background. Uh, your father was quite an illustrious uh, member of the uh, armed services, wasn't he?
2: He was. And, you know, I, I will tell you, David, in in situations like this, I like to put things into perspective, but I did a little research and posted something on Instagram the other day, a picture of my father during World War II. Well, he was a B-17 bomber pilot as a teenager, flying missions over Europe. And at one point, the more mortality rate for B-17 bomber crews was 89%. Whoa. And so I, I look at that and think, you know, that shows me, that's not just my DNA, that's our country's DNA, but we will be able to get through this. And just having that perspective, I think World War Two might be the closest, you know, similarity to the situation we're going through, but but I believe in, you know, in, that we have that in our character.
1: Well, I appreciate that vision, and I know you've kind of leveraged that vision into other challenging situations in your own life. For those of my listeners who don't know you, and we do have a lot of listeners in the southeast, and I know you've been fairly well recognized in that part of the country in addition to broader circles because of your your writing and speaking, but uh, tell us a little bit about your background uh, as far as your own life. Well,
2: it's interesting. I grew up, I didn't want to, I served as mayor of Augusta for nine years, but I grew up dreaming of becoming a writer. But when I went to college, I ended up majoring in business because that's what my father wanted me to do. So after graduating, I went into banking, then went into real estate and development and was a partner in the Sotheby's firm down in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is on the South Carolina coast. Ended up coming back to Augusta, running a nonprofit land conservation organization for four years, nine years as mayor, and then subsequently started my own consulting firm. Had a call-in radio show for a year and then published the book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders, last year. So I I jokingly tell people that I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up.
1: Well, that's good. There's a lot of us like that. I mean, people look at my resume and they say, you know, Actually, if they don't look at my resume and they ask me what I do for a living, uh, I might be honest with them and say, well, I used to know how to answer that question, but I, I'm not sure whether to tell you I'm a radio host, a speaker, a consultant, an author, a physician. You know, you you, you you can relate, right?
2: I can relate completely. And I tell people that the the greatest things that have happened in my life have not been planned, and it's... But one commonality of what I've done is I've gone where I've seen the greatest need. When I ran for office here in Augusta, I, I just saw a need for new, forward-thinking, unifying leadership. And when I had my radio show for a year, I felt like at that point in time, the city really needed a trusted voice. Hmm. And I'm I was term limited out, and so I you know still a relatively young guy. But it's the same thing with the book. I just think there there is a real Real need now to demonstrate how ethical, principled, character, character-driven, trustworthy leadership can work even in politics.
1: Well, and I think you're you're raising a lot of eyebrows because some people, when <laughs> they hear, no, really, I mean, they hear trustworthy, they I hear know. honesty, integrity, and they hear politics. Uh, I'm sure you've heard bef- you know that before from other people, right? Those things often don't seem to go together.
2: No, and that, that's unfortunate, and a lot of people, that's the reaction that they've had with the book, is that they say, well, it's not at all what I thought it was going to be. And I can see that in that you have somebody who's a former politician, although I always consider myself a public servant, that they think the book's going to be on politics. Well, I'm happily independent. I have nothing to do with partisan politics. Frankly, hyper-partisan politics to me are just a bane on the existence of this country but it's about leadership but unfortunately people don't associate politics and leadership together anymore where at one point they did
1: wow that is a sobering reality i think and i appreciate you coming to the table deke and saying hey let's change the dialogue a little bit
2: absolutely and it's interesting so I did not realize before I wrote my book, and I know you've, I've written books as well, but that there are 8,000 books a day published. And if I would known the odds against my book being having success, I might not have written it in the first place. But the University of Texas El Paso's Student Engagement and Leadership Center found the book organically. So in the fall semester, they implemented it into a powerful pages program which I had nothing to do with that. So all of a sudden I see kids from UTEP throwing up selfies on Instagram, reading my book. So I I reached out to them and ended up speaking there three weeks ago yesterday, right before the world changed. But I video conferenced in for their last meeting on November 20th of last year, which was my birthday. And I had a young lady from her name is EU. She's from Vietnam she said, "I have a tear in my eye because you've given me faith in government again."
1: Hmm. Well, tell us about this uh, this transition, really, from a, a businessman to someone who's a, a politician with a vision to to really serve and make a difference in your community.
2: It's it's interesting. I grew up really prizing public service, and there were people on both sides of the aisle that that I felt strongly I could look up to and emulate myself after, if I ever got into that world, which I had no inclination to do. But in 2004, I was going through a program called Leadership Georgia, which is the oldest statewide leadership program in the nation. And my graduation weekend, we had our third current or former local elected official go under indictment. Wow. And so I had somebody that was on the board of the organization. It was our then governor's chief of staff look at me and say, "What are you guys putting in the water up there?" So I'm very competitive, and I just I was tired of hearing bad things about local politics on a statewide basis. So I just made the decision that if a position came available, I was going to run for it, and and I did. And it's interesting; I was taken into a back room by local business leaders who I knew and know in respect to the state, but I was told not to run that i had not paid my dues huh. and i said look I, i've chaired boards of directors i've run a small business you know i've had all the leadership experience that i need but i i said i'm gonna run and i'm gonna win if you guys are in the race or not so i took it as a challenge but it's sometimes and i think that's the issue with politics is oftentimes people want people in office that they can control not who are truly leaders and can think for themselves
1: that is really an interesting observation, so is it true you really ran as an independent?
2: Yes, so local um, elections in Georgia are nonpartisan, which that was tremendously helpful to me and i I never governed to the vocal minority, and so i didn't have to be uh, and i if I had to tow a party line and basically push an idea that I didn't agree with, I would be I, – I don't know how I would handle that. So, yes, it was great to be an independent, and I'm, to this day, truly independent.
1: So let's bring all this experience to bear as far as what we're dealing with as a nation and as a world. So a lot of people are afraid that translates into uh, the tribal setting. It translates on to, to reservations, yes. to – Native community centers, uh, workplaces. Uh, We have many listeners who are not Native, and uh, everybody's dealing with this. How do you take your background in leadership and communicate something that's encouraging to people right here and now?
2: Well, I had to lead through many, many crises while I was in office, one being the financial meltdown in 2008 and the subsequent stimulus bill and administering stimulus funds in 2009 and beyond. But one thing that I always made sure to do was to keep my composure. And I make the analogy to people that if you're on a flight and you hit turbulence and the flight attendant looks like they're fine, then I don't panic. But Mm -hmm. if the flight attendant shows fear, then it passes that fear to me. So I made always been focused on maintaining my composure because I think that's key for any leader in a crisis situation. But I also think that you need to make your decisions based on real world data and you need to be transparent and share those, really that information with the people you serve. So we had a local economist that's with our local university that each month did a leading economic index, so that was tracking our economy locally real time so i could make my decisions during the great recession based on his you know expertise data and share that data with my constituents at the same time mm-hmm. so i think that's I, when we see decisions based around politics in a crisis situation we need to be listening to the experts and and not that we don't need to listen to our political leaders but you really to your listeners. Stay calm, but also seek out the best information you can possibly find.
1: So I know one of the things that drives conceptual lessons home to many people, and I've heard this many times uh, from people that are my listeners, are illustrations, stories. As we're talking about this ability to give people confidence in the midst of, of challenge, do any stories come to your mind of either things that made an impact on you in your formative years and in your early career or that you saw play out through your own uh, public service.
2: I'll give you one example. So Joe Riley was the longtime mayor of Charleston, South Carolina, and I think they called him America's mayor, but he was a mentor of mine. And when they had the church shootings in Charleston, Mm. the way that Joe handled those and brought the community together In the wake of a tragedy, and in a heartfelt way, this was authentic. This was who Joe was. I thought that he handled that magnificently. And so there there are examples of good leadership, even politically and business, still out there, but we need to seek them. And I believe that times like these call forward great leadership.
1: I think that's such a great observation because uh, a lot of times we look at uh, challenging situations and we say we would rather just, you know, have bypassed this one. But like you said, sometimes uh, it takes those challenges to bring out the best in everyone. And if we can respond in a positive and constructive way, that can really change the game. That's, of course, where we want to go today on uh, our interview, Deke. But uh, before we step away for uh, uh, just a brief break, we're going to be talking in detail about your book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. And if folks can't stay with us for the duration, I know they'll be missing out on a great interview, but uh, how would someone connect with you or, or, or get some more insights into your book?
2: Through my website, deke, D-E-K-E, dash, Copenhaver, I think my cell phone's numbers are there even, which is a scary thing, but you guys can find me.
1: Okay, so again, if you uh, are just hearing that for the first time, as I am, it's Deke Copenhaver. That's who our guest is. His website, www.Deke, D-E-K-E, dash or hyphen, Copenhaver, C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V-E-R. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're going to step away for just a couple of minutes. We will be back with more from Deke right after this. Don't go away.
0: Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose on today's edition of American Indian Living. My guest today, Deke Copenhaver. Deke served as the mayor of Augusta, Georgia for uh, some nine years. He is uh, a consultant. He's got a background in business and radio. He is the author of *The Change Maker: The Art of Building Better Leaders*. Deek, uh, one of the things that uh, I got to tell you, I think most people listening, if they're at all like me, they may not have ever been to Augusta, Georgia, but they hear Augusta, Georgia, and they immediately think golf. Is that a, a proper association to make?
2: It it is, and we are proud to be home of the Masters Golf Tournament, the only. Major held in the same spot every year, so that that's a great part of our community. But there's so much more to it. We also host the North America's largest half Ironman event every year. We are home to U.S. Army Cyber Command is moving to our Fort, our local military base, Fort Gordon. So it's golf is a big part of Augusta, but it's not all that we. We do. We're also home to James Brown, you know, the godfather of soul, Jesse Norman, the youngest ever Kennedy Center honoree. So there's a lot more to it. But, hey, uh, we're glad that we are a world-renowned name associated with quality due to the golf tournament we have every spring as well as, you know, our musical legends and for so many more things.
1: So one of the things that uh, we're speaking about, of course, is – crises and crises management. And I think one of the things that's got to be challenging for a mayor is where you have something that is such a national and international draw and you have this uh, amazing uptick in visitors and, uh, you know, lodging challenges, transportation challenges. What has that uh, experience given you as far as insight into dealing with something like uh, what we're facing today with a, a pandemic?
2: Well, it's it's interesting when um, say an example of when James Brown passed. That was my first year in office, which wasn't a pandemic in this situation, but people thought, you know, how are you? How is Augusta, Georgia, city of two hundred thousand, going to plan a homegoing service for the Godfather of Soul? I mean, world renowned music legend in a matter of days? And I said, well, we we host the Masters every year, so. We know how to do staging for big events, but in dealing with difficult situations like this, the fact that we host an event of that magnitude every year I think is going to help us in the long run. My final year in office, I basically thought, well, you know, 2014 is my last year I've been in for eight years. It's going to, I'm going to have a cakewalk to the end. Well, that February, we had the storm of the century, an ice storm that hit here in Augusta in our community, and and actually several days later had a miniature earthquake. But we were able to pull together as a community, and there was no loss of life. But once again, it was my position in that situation was to maintain the calm at the center of the storm. And one of the things that I think that your listeners need to know, and it goes back to in crisis situations, information flow is key. So one of the lessons that I learned during that, we had major power outages, but I set up a, basically, you know, everybody's having to go remote now. Well, I set up a mobile command post in my kitchen, because that's what I had to do at first, and stayed in contact with the governor's office, with the power companies, and what I realized is, in the midst of having power outages, people still had their phones, so I used tw- Twitter to get out accurate information from the governor's office, from the power companies to the citizens, when at that point, they had no real other way of getting it. So th- those are just some of the lessons that I learned. But, but I will say this, too. <laughs> you can't count on the government to do everything in this situation. And it's really, my opinion is, it's here facing an ice storm. Citizens pulled together. They helped each other. I know we're at Situations where I have to practice social distancing, but there are things we can do when we feel powerless. Just checking in with people in this situation who live by themselves, particularly the elderly, is absolutely key. And if they need food or supplies, you know, you can drop them off at their house. But there are things we as local citizens can do, and I firmly believe that the the communities that really pull together in this situation will be the ones that come out faster.
1: No, I mean, that is such a powerful message. And I know in Indian country, we think of more closely-knit communities, and and sometimes that's true. You know, many uh, Native Americans who might live on a reservation, but others are uh, maybe isolated, at least from other people that they have close Native ties with. They may be living in an urban area. And uh, so it's uh, not a homogenous group at all. So our listeners today, whether they're Native, whether they're not Native, as they're listening to what we're talking about, I think all of us can say, even though we may not feel that uh, people are necessarily looking out for us individually, what I'm hearing you say, Deke, is all of us, in a sense, can can be leaders, and uh, we can take a lead in looking out for, for people that are more marginalized than us, even if we're feeling marginalized. Is that a, a fair takeaway?
2: That is a That is a beautiful takeaway. And it's we really need to be compassionate of our communities, our neighbors, our families in this situation, and just focus on being a caregiver. In in this situation, to be a caregiver is to be a leader. Mm. And that's one of the things, I'll tell you, David, that concerns me, as I'm sure it does you, and it it applies to any community. I mean, it applies on the reservation. It applies in neighborhoods, is that in, in a situation where I think about people who are, have mental illness mm. and dealing with this situation, we we lost my um, my sister in law last fall who was special needs and had had issues with seizures. But my wife and I have to discuss that that I can't imagine. So she was in her she was fifty seven years old, but I can't imagine in her state that she was in, and she was a beautiful, wonderful woman. But how she would respond to this. And so just I'm thinking empathetically, but what if Catherine, my wife's sister, who she was primary caregiver for years, if we couldn't see her right. you know, and what, the, what that would do to her? So I think being compassionate, but and, and I think about the most low income people is or the people that are going to get hurt the worst. And I, I was telling somebody the other day that I'm hearing my friends talk about how difficult it is to homeschool their kids. But I think about, you know, a single mother from a low income population who loses her job and she's got three kids and then she has to homeschool those kids as well. You know, we need to consider others in this situation tremendously, particularly those of us that are still we're well, we're able bodied. We might be having to stay home, social distance, but th- there are things we can do to help. And I think that that helps me in this situation too, to know that I, I don't have to, I have to be smart, I have to be safe, but that doesn't mean that I can't help others in the situation.
1: No, those are great points. One of the interesting things to me, Deke, one of the things I appreciate about your nonpartisan approach is sometimes it seems that our ability to strategize and work together is clouded by those partisan divides. And I've, as a, as a physician, as a, as a public health professional have been dismayed, to see again that, um, our missteps as a country and, you know, everyone in the public health community agrees there's things we could have done better, but that's all in retrospect. I mean, we had this, uh, yeah. first SARS episode back in 2002, 2003, and it never really caused any serious disruption here in America. And I think a lot of people were thinking, Hey, um, you know we don't need to be that uh, that vigilant we can be more uh, more reactive because that has seemed to work with uh, with past epidemics but this uh covid-19 has has proved uh, all but that and everyone's pointing fingers at this point but sometimes it seems like that really gets in the way of us working together is is that just uh, my vantage point or do you do you see things similarly
2: i agree completely and i have a quote in the book that i've often said is that one thing I do know is that it's physically impossible to join hands and work together when you're only focused on pointing fingers and placing blame. Whoa. And although we have to social distance at this point, we can still join together and work together. And that Sitting around placing blame and pointing fingers does not do any good.
1: So let's come back to your book, uh, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. And although some folks might say, well, That's an interesting topic, but right now we're just trying to survive. We're not uh, so worried about uh, building leaders. But what I've been hearing you say, Deke, is all of us need to kind of raise our game and, and develop our leadership skills because that's what's needed in communities everywhere.
2: Absolutely, David, and it's interesting. So back during the fall, I had a lady that I'm connected to on LinkedIn Carrie Grace, who is a regional development CEO in New South Wales. And so she posted something on LinkedIn about what it was like dealing with the bushfires. So I posted an encouraging remark. Well, she let me know that she had read my book and that she was using it as a tool in dealing with the bushfires. Wow. Well, we have stayed in touch and she and her colleague Zoe Ether and I, who's a great smart communities guru, and I'll show you. actually visited me here in Augusta to discuss the book but we had a zoom meeting last Saturday and to know that Carrie used the book here again she found it on her own but to help her in dealing with that situation and I will tell you that just shows me what a global community we are
1: yes that's really amazing we truly are a global community and uh, we want you who are listening today on American Indian Living to stay a part of our community we have to step away for just a couple of moments, but we will be back with more from Deke Copenhaver. He'll be speaking about his book, The Changemaker The Art of Building Better Leaders, and why that is relevant for you. More right after this.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. So, you want to be a hero.
3: Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders
4: and Stroke.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Deke Copenhaver. Deke has been sharing with us insights into leadership. He's not one of these guys who uh, just took a bunch of classes and got a doctorate and now is telling everyone how to lead. He is someone who has actually been a leader in a number of capacities, including serving as the mayor of Augusta, Georgia. He's been sharing his practical life lessons. And, Deke, as we were speaking about your book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders, You were telling us a story at the end of the last segment, before we had to step away, specifically about how you had providentially, if you will, gotten connected with folks out in Australia. You were trying to encourage them as they were dealing with those bushfires. Tell us uh, how that all played out.
2: Well, so we actually, Kerry Grace, the regional development um, CEO in New South Wales, we had a conference call or a Zoom call last Saturday to discuss how we can further continue to work together along with Zoe Ether, a colleague of hers who's now a friend of mine as well. But but it it made me realize, and you touched on it in the break, on a global community. We are a global community, and we can help each other. But I, I will tell you, and I talked at the beginning of the show about putting things into perspective. So here I have a colleague in Australia that start dealing with the bushfires in October and to come out of that and to go right into COVID-19 is talk about somebody who's inspirational and has maintained a good positive attitude at the same time. So we can look for, and that's, I talk in the book about the fact that the only real power that any true leader should concern themselves with is the power to inspire mm. because No individual can do something all by themselves, but if you can inspire people to work with you, there's no obstacle that you can't overcome.
1: So, Deke, you're sharing a lot of practical insights for us and and folks today, uh, whether they're looking at challenges in the workplace, challenges in their communities, challenges in their home, uh, challenges at a government level, folks are saying, you know, we want information and individuals that we can trust. We want to be those kind of trustworthy individuals, at least I hope uh, most people are saying that as well. And yes. you've got a website, deke C O P E N H A V E R. If someone goes to that website, are they going to find resources that would help them on this journey?
2: They will. They will. And one thing that I, I always believe in doing the right thing, and I've shared with people that in my business or in this book, it's mission and message before money. But um, several weeks ago, I dropped the price of the book on Amazon down to $0.99 cents a download. Wow. Because I really – and basically that came after my friend Carrie from Australia contacted me a while back as we were setting up our Zoom call from last weekend. But she said, your, your book needs to be in every classroom right now. And so I thought if if it helped her in a leadership position in Australia, I want to make it available to as many people as possible, you know, for this situation that we're dealing with now here. So that's – but it's – it really – it's important for me to reach out and mentor that next generation of leaders because I don't think the the politics as usual that we've seen played out that are so hyper-partisan – I don't think that's sustainable, but I, I go back to the local community level. I think if change is really going to happen, positive change, it's got to start at the local level. But but we need ethical, trust, trustworthy leadership in all leadership positions. We need it in business. We need it in politics. We need it in the nonprofit world. You know, it's just important in every sector of our society.
1: So, as an author who's published things on Kindle on Amazon's ebook platform. Just for the record, uh, my understanding is you can't make a book cheaper than $0.99. Cent.
2: You are correct in that, and but it's interesting. Uh, to me, leadership is about doing the right thing, and it's. I'll give you another example. So in 2010, which was the last year that I ran for office, we were at the height of the recession.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I thought, if people don't know me after doing this for five years, then... They they probably won't get to know me, but I thought families and nonprofits need that need money more than my campaign does now. So I publicly asked people to give money to local nonprofits rather than giving to my campaign. Wow! Which um, you know a political strategist would say is crazy, but I'm one with 64 percent of the vote by doing the right thing.
1: Tremendous! Tremendous! Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate this, and I know there's folks out there that are fact-checking me, and they're going on Amazon right now and seeing all those free books. But (laughs) My understanding is you can just do that for a short time because Amazon, understandably, by running the platform, is wanting to get some return. So you can make a book free for a while, but uh, for a long-term price, $0.99, that's the best bargain you're going to get. And tell us why we want that book. Why, Why do you want me to... To, to fork out that whopping amount of ninety nine cents and pick up the change maker.
2: Well, it, it's what people have told me is it's refreshing and it's relevant. It's an easy read. I had a friend of mine that I bet or I bet in passing who's in the Air Force. He's now stationed in Japan, and he we met a number of years ago before the, in in passing, just a one time meeting. But he shared with me how much that meeting meant to him. And that he, he had actually purchased the book. Then he emailed me today, and he had read it. He said, in a matter, of, almost in a matter of hours, he just sat down and couldn't put it down. But I hope that in this situation, it gives people hope because we all need hope right now. And if you know that type of leadership politically can work here in Augusta, it can work any place.
1: So I know we've already been talking about topics that no doubt you've addressed in your book, but. Give us some other bullet points. What are some other take-home messages for folks who will never pick up the book? They may not be readers, but they say, look, I'm hearing the message. I realize these are challenging times. I may not feel I'm a leader, but I realize there are people looking up to me, whether it's family, whether it's neighbors, whether it's uh, folks uh, I'm saying on a tribal council. Those folks would, of course, realize that they are in a leadership position. But I'm thinking, regardless of, of whether it's a formal leadership position or folks are saying, I need to to, to raise my game a bit. What kind of pointers can you give us today?
2: Well, one of the things I would say is just be consistent in your leadership. And another, so I have seven attributes of change-making leaders that I've identified, which are creativity, courage, connecting, transparency, um, composure, character, and listening, which listening is key. But in leadership roles, in any leadership role, Being a good listener is key, but I go back to the attribute of character. Character is so important to me, and to all your listeners out there, you're all leaders. If anybody looks to you in this time of crisis, you're a leader whether you like it or not, but character is extremely important, and I I would share with people that when you see people compromise their character to get ahead in business or in politics, I would prefer not to I mean, I'm never going to compromise my character, because when you compromise your character, you've totally, uh, fundamentally eroded your ability to lead efficiently and effectively. So character matters.
1: Mm. Talk to the person who may feel that uh, that that hasn't been a priority. Maybe they've cut corners. Is there hope for them? I mean, if they look back and they say, well, maybe I haven't uh, prioritized character, uh, and uh, is there a way to redeem myself?
2: There is, and we can, we can all change. I'm not the same person that I was when I was 22 years old. I'm 52 now, but I think to keep an open mind and always be willing to to listen and to change when necessary, to pivot when necessary. It's I tell people there's an old saying that a mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's open. Hmm. So I think if hmm. we if we start to close our minds and let our personal biases influence us too much, that's when you, know, you you get stuck in a rut. That's not a good position to be in because in a fast-changing world, you've got to be adaptable to change. So there, there is hope, but it begins with trust because I've, I've shared with people that in leadership positions, you need to focus on maintaining the public trust or the trust of those you serve from the get-go. Because when things are calm and profitable, you know, I think if people don't trust your leadership, then then when you hit a crisis situation, you fundamentally undermine your ability to lead through crisis.
1: Hmm. I'll tell you, these are sobering, sobering remarks. And some folks uh, may feel that they're already challenged because of their, their past history. How do they raise their game right now when there's missteps that they've made? But like you're saying, Sometimes leaders, it seems, are made, if you will, in the midst of crises, aren't they?
2: They absolutely are. And you know, none of us are perfect. I, I was doing an interview the other day, and we were talking about Winston Churchill, who I believe is one of the greatest leaders of all time. But Churchill dealt with depression. And so he he was flawed. He was imperfect. But he was a great leader. And I think that really his leadership at, during World War II um, but it, I think it was the the war itself that called forth those great leadership skills in him. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. Now, here's an interesting thing. You know, you mentioned that list of seven attributes, and one of those attributes uh, sometimes seems to be at cross purposes. Uh, well, with maybe some of the things we're trying to achieve, let me explain. So, you mentioned creativity. I mm-hmm. know there's a challenge, especially in times of crises, when someone is trying to think creatively. That maybe if they're being transparent and they're, they're sharing how they're processing things, that maybe people will take issue and they'll say, you're going down the wrong direction. And sometimes in today's world where it seems like so many people, their opinion of someone will hinge on one tweet or uh, one soundbite, yeah. people, it seems, are reluctant sometimes to both be transparent and share What might be a creative solution, it's creative because no one else is talking about it, and then they feel like they're running the danger of being branded as someone who's either insensitive or out of touch. How do you pull all that together?
2: Wow, that's a very good question, David. But when I say creativity, so I grew up writing and painting and had an arts-based education, so it taught me to look at solving problems from all sides, Hmm. whereas I think oftentimes politically it's either our way or your way, either this or that. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, as I mentioned to you during the ice storm, deciding to tweet out good information was both creative and transparent at the same time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're not mutually exclusive. But that that's one thing I caution leaders to in crisis situations. Vet your information before you share it with people you serve. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and, and don't make decisions in vacuums and oftentimes a leadership position the buck has got to stop here but it's i learned to surround myself with professionals and listen to the experts before i made any decision and while i was in office for nine years i still do that because you know they, i'm not a lawyer i'm not an epidemiologist i can tell you that we will make this make it through this but i would encourage people out there given the financial situation facing businesses Listen to your accountants. Listen Mm -hmm. to the professionals Mm -hmm. that are dealing with this on a daily basis. Mm -hmm.
1: No, great messaging. We do have to step away. We're going to be back with uh, a final segment with Deke. Deke is uh, sharing with us insights from his book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders and how it applies to us today. You don't want to miss our concluding insights. We'll also give you contact information about Deke and his resources. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More right after this. Welcome back to American Indian Living, Dr. David DeRose. We're concluding our interview with Deke Copenhaver. Deke has been trying to help us see how leadership skills are so critical for every single one of us in the challenging times in which we find ourselves. Deke, we've been talking a lot about leadership, and one of the things that I find people love is just some way of assessing how they're doing. Do I understand you actually have a formal assessment on your website?
2: I do, as a matter of fact. And so it can you can take it and you'll get your results, but it gives you an idea of where you stand on with regards to becoming a change-making leader or are you already a change-making leader. So I think that that should be helpful to your listeners.
1: So basically, if I go to deke-copenhaver, and again, that's D-E-K-E hyphen, C O P E N H A V E R dot com. I, I just go to that website and I'll see uh, information about this change-making leader assessment. Yes. Okay. And how long uh, a process is that?
2: Oh, it's it's just a few minutes. It's nothing. Uh, it's nothing that somebody can. And hey, we'll have a little extra time on our hands
1: these days. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So if someone's wondering what to do after listening to this radio interview, go to com. Make sure you got a hyphen between deek and Copenhaver and look for that change-making leader assessment. So let me just ask you, before I, I venture there, because I've not been to your website, uh, this, uh, interview was arranged on fairly short notice. So a lot of times I will like to check out, uh, resources before I have a guest on, but in, uh, in today's world, sometimes things are just speeding by as slowly as other things yes. may seem to be moving. Anyway, though, Deke, if yes. I do take this assessment, um, and let's say I got a really bad score, am I likely to be severely deflated and uh, without any hope of making those changes?
2: No, no. And and once again, I think that it. Some people might have more leadership traits in their DNA than others, but but just some simple things. Being a change-making leader means being willing to, to go against the status quo. You know, I, I was told when I first was running for office that I wouldn't get 6% of the
1: vote. Wow.
2: But if I, if I had listened to people, but I'd been out there at the grassroots level, and I knew people were ready for, you know, a different type of unifying leadership, but it takes courage. And one of the things I would share with your listeners is mm-hmm. vulnerability is a strength it's not a weakness. Hmm. You know, it takes more courage to stand up and really share what you're feeling with people than it does to hide your feelings. And frankly, vulnerability, I did an interview and somebody said, well, you can be vulnerable while you're in office. I said, yeah. And they said all the time. I said, I was for nine years, but that's what connected to me to people. I didn't act like I had all the answers. You know, I, when dealing with tragedies, I mean, Murders are different situations in the community. I spend time with the families. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. vulnerability, when most people think it's a weakness, it's a strength. And truthfully, right now, we as a society, we're all vulnerable. And here again, the humanity of having to deal with a global pandemic connects us all.
1: No, I mean, that is such a, such a welcome message. And I, I think sometimes people feel like if they're going to be a good leader— they have to give this aura of having all the answers, but if you don't have all the answers, and in fact none of us do, that's a pretty dangerous position to put yourself in, isn't it?
2: It, it fundamentally is, and I tell people, and for your listeners, that it's in leadership positions, It to me it's more important to know what you don't know than what you do know and to surround yourself with people that know more than you on any given topic. And it's a dangerous thing if, if you want to portray an image of that you do have all the answers, particularly now when nobody does, as you may mention of. That, I do think that's a dangerous thing. We need to be listening to the experts in this situation.
1: So let's uh, transition back to Augusta. And, you know, we're talking about people who've, who've got all the answers. And I'll tell you, one of the stereotypes of of athletes is that some of them you know have an aura like you know everything revolves around them and of course we don't want to mention any names but uh some people would say well that sounds like it must have been very challenging to deal with uh, a lot of folks who may think the world kind of revolves around them is that the reality i mean are there those unique challenges of not only dealing with the general public but dealing with the uh, the professionals the athletes who would uh at least call Augusta home for a, a small segment of, of the year?
2: You know, it, and it's easy to stereotype and paint with a broad brush, but most of the professional athletes, most of the entertainers that I've met are pretty much down to earth people, but you have certain people that give everybody a bad rap and mm-hmm. it's, you know, and that's with anything, but no, generally professional athletes that I've found have been pretty easy to deal with and, and, you know, they're, everybody's going through this together. They might be better able to absorb the financial impact of this. But I think about, you know, there are guys out there, particularly on the PGA tour that might be at the lower end of the spectrum, that their livelihood from a sponsorship perspective from everything has just been totally cut off. Mm -hmm. And same thing I tell people with entertainers, with musicians that aren't world famous, that can just make a living. The entertainment industry, you know, it's it's across the board. People are being impacted.
1: So, talk to some of those folks. I mean, what kind of options are there out there? What kind of options are there, not only for them to uh, to sustain themselves, but also to uh, feel like they can lead anyone when they're feeling defeated, when they're wondering how they can make a living? What do you say to someone like that?
2: Well, it's. It's a scary time, and I would say here again, you know the federal government has passed this stimulus bill, which should provide help to families, to businesses, so be patient. help is on the way in that regard. I'm not sure what that's going to look like exactly when I was in office. the stimulus package was eight hundred and forty one billion dollars. This is two point two trillion, but just to stay calm that it is going to get better. And, and here again, it, it makes you feel better, I think, if you can help somebody else. So if you're in a position to help somebody else at this point in time, do it. It, it makes you feel better to feel like you're not powerless, and it, it helps somebody out that needs it the most right now.
1: No, that is great. Yeah, looking out for others and really realizing the power of kindness. You've been doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You've been doing that, Deke, I know that, in, in different ways. One of the ways is you're a, a blogger, and uh, folks who've been listening, uh, I know many of them have already been uh, sold on the reasonable price of the change maker. They're, they may, <laughs> no, really, I mean, they may already have gone to Kindle while they've been listening and, and picked up a copy for that $0.99 cent, uh, price tag, but uh, others are, are wanting to keep in touch with you. Tell us a little bit about how someone could access your blog.
2: I do a regular blog for Forbes. My book publisher is Forbes Books, and so I blog for Forbes regularly. I do a monthly column on leadership for the Georgia Municipal Association here in Georgia that they can go, and there's a backlog of those, so they can go to, I believe it's gma.net, or it might be, I think they changed it to georgiacities.net or .org, but but you can find all my stuff there. So it, I'm, I'm not hard to find, but just, I'll I'll keep putting information out there because I think it's key right now.
1: So, Deke, if we go to the website, are there links on the website to some of the other things you've written?
2: There are, there are, and to different interviews I've done, different podcasts, different TV interviews. So there there should be a whole lot of content there for people to sift through.
1: So, if there's uh, folks like me who've become uh, more of a fan of Deke Copenhaver, never having met you before, but if if we want to to listen to more. If I, we can just remember that name, we can find your website.
2: You can find my website. That's the fortunate thing is I think um, I've never met another Deke Copenhaver in this world, so I, so it's probably good at this point doing what I do to have an unusual name.
1: Okay, so if you can't remember the website, just remember the name, stick it in a search engine. And where is it going to point them, Deke? Give us that website one more time.
2: It's deke-copenhaver.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. So uh, reach out to me. And during these times, I'm happy to help your listeners, talk them through things, whatever I can do.
1: Well, and I've heard something interesting. I don't know if this is true or not, but I thought I had heard that your phone number is even on your website.
2: Yeah, I think it actually is, which is scary at this point. But here again, it's about transparency. And I, I really want to do whatever I can within my power to help people right now. Obviously, none of us are doing speaking engagements, but, but I, I think if you you do the right thing, you take the big picture view, everything. Nobody's, you know, I've got to run a small business myself, but that's I need to do the right thing more than anything right now to me because it's just that important.
1: Deke, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your expertise. Again, Deke's website, Deke, D-E-K-E, hyphen, Copenhaver, C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V-E-R.com. Deke, before we run, any final words?
2: Just to all your listeners, we will get through this. Just trust me, we will. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful. But stay positive and keep a good attitude. Stay healthy and stay safe.
1: Thanks so much for your encouragement. We've got to run. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.